Baruchim Abayim, and welcome to Torah Talk Chazak's program with special guests. We have with us Rabbi Zalman Deutscher, Shlita Baruch Abba. Welcome, what an honor. Shalech, it's my honor. Baruch Hashem, Rabbi Zalman Deutscher, who, Baruch Hashem, is involved with the Yeshiva Primary, and we're going to be discussing survival for all. And I appreciate the Rav coming once again to our headquarters. It means so much, and uh, joining us on, on the podcast. And, uh, the Rav can give our audience a little bit of a background about the Rav and the great work you're involved with. I mean, basically, basically, uh, I was born in Providence, Rhode Island. My mother and her two brothers went to public school because there were no Bishyakos. There were no, there were no, no yeshivas. It was totally, you're talking about the turn of the century, the early 1900s. You had 30,000 Jews living in, in Providence at that time. And I doubt very much if in 1950 or 1955, you had more than maybe 25 Shambish Habas. Wow. And probably very few of the, of the, younger, of the younger generation. And uh, I, I, I remember that my, my grandparents, they moved out of the Jewish neighborhood, and they moved to a neighborhood about 10 or 15 blocks away. And I asked them once, where did they move? Because they lived in the middle of the Jewish neighborhood, and the minute at that time was that everybody would go to Shul on Shabbos. So the president of the Shul would open up his store after Shachris, after Musaf. He opened up his store on one side and the vice president on the other side and everything else. And they really felt that they didn't want their children to see and to be involved in the Chol Shabbos. So they used to walk to Shul on Friday night, walk to Shul on Shabbos afternoon, on Shabbos morning to Daven. After Davening, they came back home, they ate the Suda. And then they walked to a park which was about two blocks away. My uncle used to po- point out to me all the time there was a tree. That was the Mincha tree. So I said, what do you mean the Mincha tree? Trees don't dub Mincha. <laughs> that was the tree that we used to stop to dub Mincha because my mother would not let us go back to shul. She didn't want us to see the total Chil Shabbos and everything else. Wow. And the truth of the matter is, these people, I knew people in Providence that would get up Vesikim. They would get up very early Shabbos morning in order to be able to daven, shul, and everything else, and then rush up to work. Wow. Because there was a five, there was a six-day work. If you didn't work on Shabbos, you, you didn't have Panasa. My grandfather, Oliver Sheldon, they came here in 1898, and he brought his family over in the early 1900s. He used to, he didn't have any particular skills, so he worked for Jewish bosses, and he'd get a job on a Monday. And on Friday, we told the boss, Mr. Shem, I'll see you on Monday. No, 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 no. You don't come in on Shabbos. You know, don't, don't bother coming back. Wow. So, Monday again, he was looking for a job or whatever. Eventually, he went into business for his own. He went into business on his, on his own or whatever it may be. Eventually, he brought his family over. But I remember, I remember people that were big Tomir Chachomim. They really were Tomir Chachomim. You got together with them. Some of them had really been Yeshiva-like. But, even they were working on Shabbos. Their children and their grandchildren were, were lost. Were lost. Wow. So you'd, you'd see it. You'd see it. Ben so this is where the Rav grew up in Rhode Island. I, what happened was, when it came time for me to go to Yeshiva, uh, they moved. Uh, my father's father was a sheikh uh, in Pittsburgh for many years. By the way, he came right after the First World War, but he left his family in Vienna. Because he was afraid to bring his children over, he saw what was going on. So when I was of age, 
we moved to Pittsburgh for one year. That's where I started the first grade. And then we moved to Williamsburg, not Virginia, but Williamsburg in, the, in Brooklyn. Yeah. So I should be able to go to Yeshiva. Wow. I went to Yeshiva. I went to Yeshiva to Radas. Uh, eventually, I went to, I worked with Sabosin to Taylor Yeshiva when they opened up. Then I went when I was, when I graduated high school, I went to Etchisol for a year. I was there with the last two uh, Yom Neron by the Bells of Welcome. And then uh, I came back. When I came back, I went back to Torah Vidal's to the Mesipta, then with Medeshalyad. I got smicha from Torah Vidal's. But in Torah Vidal's, I met Sheva Saplater. I met individuals that the parents had sent them away. Somebody came from Los Angeles three days by train. It wasn't like it was today that he t- took a plane from Los Angeles and he dawned in, in New York. And those were ones that Taka remained. Wow, 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 wow. And how did it become that the Rav started in a massive, uh, you know, operation, the Yeshiva, Yeshiva Institute, that I understand, back in the day? It was, it started off with Yeshiva Day School of South Queens. Then when we moved, it became Yeshiva Institute. We dropped the South Queens. And eventually it was Yeshiva Primary, which is located, which is located over here. The idea was very, was, was very simple. Everybody talked about, we got to do something about it. The only thing you can really do about it is you have to start the children young. You have to have the children give them a, and they should understand exactly what the Yiddishkeit is all about. I'll give you an example. Uh, a parent says to me, what do I need? My child graduated elementary school. Now he can go to regular public high school. He has the, he has the background already. Or my child, he goes to Tomato in the afternoon. What do you need? What do you need a school for? So I tell you, you need a school for two reasons. As a matter of fact, I used to demonstrate it to the parents Take a chair and put it on the table. The parent will put a chair on the table. And I said to the parent, can you lift the chair? Start to lift it. Higher, higher, higher. Eventually it's going to topple. I said, how do you stop it from toppling? You hold it on both sides. If somebody is a, a, a very, very learned, he's very, very good in school, and he is a, a, a uh, he goes through elementary school and high school but when it comes to Yiddishkeit it's just Talmud Torah itself so his Yiddishkeit is like a first grade or like a second grade like a third grade it's going to topple you have to balance it if you have if if people don't have an education at all so perhaps the the Talmud Torah made sense but at this point it just it just doesn't work that's number one secondly I told him by sending to Yeshiva you're accomplishing something not only is the, the, does the general studies have to be at least as good or better than the public school, and perhaps it's better because the classes are smaller, we are answerable to the parents, the parents are the ones, if they complain, I have to act on their complaint. It's different in the public school, we have the bureaucracy. I'm not even talking about what's going on in the public school system today uh-huh. as compared when my mother went to school. My parents, my grandparents are, bar- are buried in, in Providence. So every year we try to go out to the yard site. So I bring my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren, we drive out. And they ask me, where did you grow up? So I show them the house. And where did Bobby go to school? She went to public school. Went to public school? So I said, yeah, there was nothing else. But let me show you something. Let's drive into the school, it's right around the corner. I bring them into the yard. So I said, what do you see? Well, I see a building. Do you see an entrance? Yeah. Why is there another entrance on the other side? What does it say on top? Boys, 
girls. Wow. This was how it was in the 19, I don't know, in the, in the teens and in the 20s or whatever it may be. It's a different world today. Uh, as a matter of fact, a, a Rabbi Miller once, his daughters asked him, needs some books for book reports. He said a book that was published before 1920, generally speaking, you could use. Wow. Imagine what's happening today in the public school system. I mean, it's c complete unraveling of whatever American civilization was all about. So that the only answer is, for Bicentic Yeshiva, but you have to make it possible for a parent. A parent is, is, is not paying for public school, it's free. So we try to keep the cost as low as possible. Okay. It costs us more than at this point, even after cutting corners, eleven to $12,000 per student, if I would divide the number of students or that. We asked for 3100 And they get discounts because they... 3100 not a month. 3100 for the whole year. For, for, the, for, the, for the year. And I advertise the price. And people tell me, don't advertise the price. I said, I, I hear what you're saying. But I think that you have to make it possible. A person feel that I can't touch it, people. I can't pay fifteen, eighteen, twenty thousand dollars or whatever. And uh, started in Ozone Park. Rabbi Land Oliver Shalom used to kid his balabatim. We built a building because we needed to try a Torah. The yeshiva occupied it on a Monday of nineteen sixty nine, and our Torah at that point was two classes started on Monday afternoon. So we really built a building for the yeshiva. And he says, look, so the Baal sometimes would ask him, we, I was at a meeting, what does the yeshiva do to increase the membership of the shul and everything else? So I, first I kidded, I said, you know what? We sell minion, minion insurance. They looked at me, what do you mean by minion insurance? You need a minion, right? And you tried to cobble together a minion. I want to educate the people so you're going to have the minion. But in generally speaking, what is the shul? What is the purpose of the shul? The purpose of the shul, it's not just a club. You want to perpetuate Yiddishkeit. You want to perpetuate your tradition. Whatever level you're on, you want your children to have at least your level or whatever it may be. That's what yeshiva is all about. So in effect, it's collective. And, and I looked around the table. I said, most of you people here, I've seen you at meetings. What? Why? You could belong to 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 Masons. You could belong to the different clubs, whatever. You're doing it because of the Yiddish guy. This is exactly what we're doing. So we're complementing what you're doing. Hundred percent, hundred percent. So there was a drive the the rough hand to help Kali Israel, help the Jewish people, and that's how the yeshiva in essence started. Yeah, not to help the Jewish people because when you're talking about you're helping the people, it to help many many Yidden have a good basic feeling and no knowledge of Yiddishkeit per se, while they're getting a, an excellent general education, which is so important, the general education, because you can't survive. Education is the name of the game today. It's really the name of the game. And that's what Yeshiva is all, and that's what yeshiva is all about. Amazing. When I asked the Rav for a talk, for this Torah talk, the Rav told me, survival for all. And uh, is that what the Rav is trying to say that, through that, the that's education? That's exactly what it means. It's really education. Many parents, for instance, will say to me, you know, I'm torn because my child has to live in the, in the greater world, in the outside world. Will my child be able to cope if he's, if he's segregated, so to speak? So I said, look, if you, have, if you know who you are and you feel confident in you are and your culture and everything else, 
you don't have to put someone else down to be a some of somebody. If you don't have that, the only way you can be a somebody is ah, you're no good. You're no good. You come from here. You come from the. You're no good. I'm better. On the contrary, if you know who you are and you feel comfortable with it, it's it's different. You know, Yiddishkeit uh, uh, not only preaches that, but there used to be special kabbonis that were given for the seventy nations, prime nation of the world, in the Besamegdish. So it's not a question of I'm going to become bigoted. On the contrary, and, and it works that way. It's one that Baruchim lives and breathes Kirov and uh, bringing fellow brothers and sisters uh, back to Judaism is Kirov is bringing those that are far and near for all is it for every person watching and listening to us speaking Rabbi or is it for a select few or for the professionals there's no such thing as a professional Kirov each one of us can do a lot in other words everyone says okay but what can I do for Kirov take an hour an hour and a half of your time but seriously sit down with your wife sit down a list of people that you know that have children in the public school system. Some of them you may know intimately, some of you don't. If you can approach them and try to get them to be interested in yeshiva, it doesn't have to be yeshiva primary, yeshiva institute, it could be any, any yeshiva on, on, on the country. That's what we do at Hadak. And, and if you feel that you feel uncomfortable Give us the information, and we'll find a way. Give Chazak the information, and they will find a way. They will find a way, out a professional way, to reach those parents and to try to get the parent to expose them of the possibility. Hundred percent, powerful, amazing. Hundred percent. All you have to do is just reach out, give us the information, and we'll do all the work, and, you'll, and we'll give you this chus and the merits <laughs> as well. And then, and then you will see five years, ten years down the line, when they, when your people that you spent time to try to figure out who comes to you for a Shabbos or whatever it may be, or you're invited to a graduation, whatever it be, then you'll see. Ah, it was then, then you'll see it. Oh, but it, it's doable. Every Everyone can, can contribute to that in all seriousness. 100%. So the Rav started the Yeshiva in 1969, many, many years ago. And today, Baruch Hashem, the Yeshiva is existing and is strong, Baruch Hashem. Does the Rav see a difference with the students, with the cure, with the work back then? And with today? To a certain extent, it was easier then. Then it became harder, and then it became easier. So let me explain what yes. I mean. <laughs> uh, in 1969, my student body was basically the parents and grandparents had come over from, whether it was Russia or Poland, from Europe, between the 1880 and 1920, when you had the mass migration before America started closing its borders, so to speak, you know, with quota systems of how many can come from each country. So my original parent body were p parents that their grandparents had come here, and they themselves went to Talmud Torah. They went to Talmud Torah, they lived in East New York, they lived in the Rochdale Village, where they, they went to Talmud Torah, and they would go to Talmud Torah four days a week, or five days a week, an hour and a half, two hours, you know, each but eventually, and they felt that they wanted their children to be exposed to, to Yiddishkeit. There was no yeshiva serving to the neighborhood. Howard Beach and Ozone Park had no yeshiva whatsoever. And they were not ready to pay the big, the big price for it. So that's where we started. First year, I told Rabbi Lander, if we have 15 or 20 students the first year, I'll be very happy. We had 65 students wow. the first year. And we had the parent body 
that the parents themselves uh, were interested in Yiddishkeit. They also felt to be careful, don't let it go too far, you know, whatever it may be. I want my child to be sort of traditional, whatever. And that uh, first graduating class we graduated in 1977-78, and that's when we started sending children to different yeshivas as well. If I felt a child was ready for mainstream school, whether it was Paris Moshe or even out of town or whatever, we would, we would send them. Then we, we moved out of Ozone Park. We went to South Ozone Park in 1979, 1980. And then the migration started. People started coming from Iran. The Iranian Jews started coming. And then eventually the, the, from USSR, from the Southern Russian Republic started coming. And my colleagues told me, don't accept, be careful how many you accept, because you're going to see, you're going to lose your, your parent body. And, you know, and we did, but we didn't lose our American parent body, because I saw to it, most of them moved out of the neighborhood, and we got them into the, I think we lost two children. But on the other hand, we gained. We gained, we had it, at that point, we had about 130, 140 children, you know, in the school. I knew each parent, I knew each child. And I had a learning experience because there was a culture gap between myself and that. I'll give an example. Uh, I had an Iranian parent that uh, children were in the yeshiva, and the p parent told me, Rabbi Deutsch, I, I, I was really embarrassed to hear it, but Rabbi Deutsch, you and the Rabbi Nishlagam, that, take a look what you're doing for my son. A couple of days later, the son is out of school. So I call up the parent, the parent's not feeling well. I ask the, the, the friends to find out, a week, two, then I find out the child's in public school. Amen. So I called up Rabbi Kishani, who, by the way, was a pioneer in, 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 in Yiddishkeit for the year. He built the unbelievable himself. I asked, I said, how do, how do you, how, how do I balance it? Hearing a parent is telling me that you, it's been a British you, and all of a sudden in public school. He says, you have to, you have to understand the culture. As a matter of fact, then you had the mass migration coming from the southern Russian republics that, that, that they came. You had some coming from the European part of Russia, but there was a, different, a big difference between those coming from Europe, Russia, or the Ashkenazi, and the, the Bukharian, uh, the Swardi. The Ashkenazi had another generation of communism. In other words, it started over there, in, in 1918 and 1919, and religion was outlawed, and it was gefährlich. So the, the second and third generation that I got that came to me in the yeshiva, I don't remember anyone of them having a bris meal in Russia. If anything, in Italy or in, in the holding part in, in Vienna, there were bris or bris were taking place over there. When it came to the to the uh, the community that came from the southern Russian republics, very very traditional. They all had risen over there. True, there was a, there was a disconnect between the great grandfather and the grandfather of this, but there was a strong feeling for Yiddishkeit. They don't know exactly what it is, and uh, and I'll give you an example. Uh, maybe I shouldn't say it, but I'll say it anyways. But after we interview a parent coming in, I'll never ask the parent, "Do you have a kosher home?" I'll talk to the parent, we'll start talking, um, how did you hear about the yeshiva, what would you like the yeshiva to do for your child, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
And by the way, I look at the child and I say, what do you like best? We have a lunch program. What do you like best in school lunch? Oh, I like the, I like the fries. I like the, 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 the beef burgers or whatever it may be. And the mother will say, but, oh, but when they eat the, the meat in school, I don't let them drink milk. They drink water. They are very traditional, but they just don't know. You don't embarrass the parents. No point of asking the question, do you have a kosher home or not? You're not going to get an, an honest answer, and, and you shouldn't get an honest answer. You're really prying. And I try to tell the people, if you want to have quality education, I'm talking about general studies right now, general studies, send to yeshiva. I said, doesn't have to be yeshiva primary, yeshiva institute. Any yeshiva, I'll help you. Yes. If, whatever it may be. I know many cases where Rabbi Deutscher sent children from yeshiva, primary yeshiva institutes to be, to mainstream yeshivas. Of course. Yeshivas that that's, that's, that's the only occasion. And I also say to a parent, you know, we're sitting and talking, and I ask him, who was your child named after? Sometimes they'll say, well, I went to the rabbi, we opened up a chumish. Sometimes we'll say, it's my grandfather, my great-grandfather, my grandmother, my father, whatever it may be. And... It gives me information. It also gives them the information. They're looking back at, 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 at their generation. Then I will say to them, you know, here we're sitting and talking. They ask me, what does it cost? I said, let's not talk about the unimportant things right now in terms of the cost. Let's talk about what we have to offer. I said, we're sitting here and talking. You probably, you probably are, are too embarrassed to ask this question, to ask me a question for you. So they perk up. What do you mean? So I turn to the child, what time do you go to school? About 8 o'clock, you know, whatever it may be. What time do you, are you dismissed? Oh, 2.30. Uh, how are you in maths? Child looks at me, well, I know maths. So one and one, how much is that? That's two, in a, in a lap or whatever. Everybody's relaxed. Then I say to the child, from 8 to 2.30, how many hours is that? Child right away, you told me, six hours, six and a half hours. I turned to the parent, how can we accomplish reading, writing, math, science, social studies, and accomplish the full curriculum and do even a better job than that of the public school system in four hours? Because we have our Hebrew in the morning. From 5 to 12 until 5 after 4, they have all their general studies. How can we pull that off? And the parent will say, you're right. What's the answer? So I turned to the child again. How many hours? I'm not talking about homeroom. I'm not talking about music. I'm not talking about art. How many hours do you spend on the reading, writing, math, science, social studies, etc.? It's three hours and 40 minutes in the public school system. Three hours and 45 minutes. Three hours and 50 minutes. We have four hours, and we take that very serious. How many children do you have in your class? 31, 32. Another will say I had 24, 26, or whatever. Our class is not much smaller. Our class is not. That largest class, I think we had 15 or 16, or whatever it may be. So we get, we get, we get, we get, we, we give the quality. Now, a parent sending to yeshiva and sending the second sibling and the third sibling and everything else, it's only because they feel that the general education is at least as good, if not better, than that of the public school system. And that's what we offer. And, and that's what we offer. And, and it works. 96 or 97% of our parent body going back for the last 35, 40 years or whatever, even those that came over and started, you know, late, went into higher education, went into college. We have pharmacists, we have doctors, we have lawyers, we have 
MBAs, we have business people, whatever it may be. Obviously, we're doing something right because without the parents, wouldn't keep them here. Hundred percent. I mean, we know many, many, many amazing success stories. Many uh, individuals, like the rabbi just mentioned, that are very successful, and they credit a lot of their success to thanks to the yeshiva. And the, the rabbi does a few success stories, maybe something that sticks out. Uh, something that sticks out. Okay, I mean, at, at the risk of sounding whatever. Uh, how how many of you are, are familiar with an organization uh, that uh, provides teachers for teaching people any part of Judaism that they're interested in? Are you interested in Gemara? That's fine. Are you interested in the Chumash? That's fine. Are you interested in Jewish history? That's fine. Are you interested in how many Nobel prize winners there were, you know, from the Torah anytime. Torah anytime. And <laughs> at the risk of, of, of embarrassing Shimon Kol Yaakov, and it's unbelievable. Anytime that you want to study anything, anytime, 24-6, which is really 24-7, the international dateline. And, All over the world, yeah. And, and, and countless, and countless. We have pharmacists in the community over here. That, and it, it's, it's just unbelievable. You know, at the time when we when we when we enrolled the children, we started to work with the community. Uh, we felt that there was a certain lack of appreciation. Appreciation, in a sense, they felt that uh, we were out to get money, and it's us and them. It's us and them. But after the children were in the school, I had certain parents that even at thirty one hundred dollars. They they wouldn't as a matter as a matter of fact at that point I think it was we started off with a three hundred dollar tuition but that was in nineteen sixty nine three hundred for the whole year yeah but nineteen sixty nine you could buy a new car for two thousand dollars that same car cost costs thirty thousand dollars today but we kept it very very low to make it possible to make it possible for the parent and well Hashem I could just tell you take a look at the community and 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 you're going to see and they all went. 98, 97%, we did a, went to the higher education. Amazing. And very successful. Very, very inspiring for me. This Torah talk is very special because this is, you know, oxygen in life for what we do at Chazak and we work very closely with Rabbi Deutscher Shlita, Hashem Shabbat you. And uh, Rabbi, if uh, there would be a final message that you give over to Kali Israel about the uh, survival for all, about the importance of Yeshiva, about the great work that you're involved with, uh, what would that be? Let me tell you, I have a student, a very successful, I mean, happened to be going to one of the mainstream yeshivas, to Yeshiva Chavetz Chaim, Sefta Chaim, if you have one or two a year ago, depending, each student said at the school, said to me, Rabbi, you know, sometimes I'm really, I'm really wondering, I'm charting a course so different from my parents, totally from my parents. And uh, and he is really he is really very much involved with the Judaism, with the Yiddishkeit, with the study, and everything else. But sometimes I say to myself, I'm starting a new course. So I said to him, Let me tell you something. In the 1850s, 1860s, the telegraph came came about. Right. Okay, so you could start telegraphing, you know, Morse code or whatever it may be. Then they decided, you know what, I, I'd like to I'd like to have possible to reach overseas. So they laid an underground cable from here to England and then eventually to different parts of the world. It took three years or four years to lay that cable to get it going and everything else. 
what happens? Every so often, you have 10, 20, 30 cables that were before the age of radio, you know, that you didn't need a cable, whatever it may be. And a fishing trawler comes by, and they sever the line. Right. So you send down divers, and three days later, four days later, five days later, it, 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 it's, it's repaired. I have a picture of your grandparents, your great-grandparents. Remember, you gave me a picture of you. You, you have everything in common with your grandparents and your great-grandparents. Your parents in between, they didn't do anything wrong. The situation was such that it was impossible to survive with the Yiddishkeit, with the Judaism. Yet, when they came here, they sent you to Yeshiva. They didn't take the easy way out. Prove something. So, in other words, we are not charting a new course. We are just reconnecting you know, to the generations. Beautiful. Wow. 100% sure. What a powerful message that, uh, you know, we're all reconnecting. And there was definitely, uh, you know, some interference in the way, especially with the case we're dealing with uh, today with the community of here in Queens where Rabbi Deutsch has the yeshiva with the, you know, the former USSR uh, from Bukharian background. They're not against Yiddishkeit, like the rabbi said. They just don't know any better. They need to reconnect. Reconnect because of the, of, of the situation. Paket, they're very traditional and a very good feeling towards, towards, towards Yiddishkeit. They're, for all those watching out there in the world, there's a tremendous gold mine over here. Like we discussed before the program, thousands of kids, thousands of Halig and Hashemas, holy souls that just don't know any better. If we would only reach out them like we do and bring them in, Baruch Hashem, we see transformation we see families and communities and Hashem, tremendous growth and there's a lot more potential and a lot more yecholos and Bezat Hashem, we want to uh, continue working and making this happen and growing i know there's a big vision and we're discussing about it and a shout out to uh your dear talmud and uh Baruch Hashem, continuing with the rabbi's uh the legacy and great work at yeshiva from rabbi abner yusabov who uh, we dabbing with together over here in the shul and uh, can I tell you another story? Of course, we love stories. Rebabna. Yes. I had, there's a doctor in, I had a telephone call from New London, Connecticut many, many years ago. A rabbi in New London, Connecticut told me there's a Russian family that's been living here for the last year or so. They're moving to New York, and I was told to call you that you possibly, your yeshiva would be able to. Fine, I definitely want to, I definitely want, I definitely want to, to meet them. So he set up the appointment, and they came in, a brother and a sister. Uh, the brother went to the yeshiva by us, you know, for two years, and then I decided that he could really move on to what I call a mainstream school and sent him to South Shore, to Rabbi Hanina Hertzberg, or Rochelle, whatever. He went to South Shore, and then he graduated high school, too. And after he graduated high school, he became a dental surgeon, as a dentist, a dental surgeon. Dr. Emmanuel Babaya, it might ring, it might ring a name. And, and he had a sister. His sister was very big in mathematics or whatever it may be. And that, that, that came about. That came about. How did that, how did that come about? How did I connect to this? He made a bar mitzvah. And came, when, when, when Daniel became a bar mitzvah, I was going to go. I know that used to be a shul on 108th Street, before 108th Street, you know, before the big shul. Yeah, that's right. That real that you have from probably... 4 a.m. in the morning until 2 p.m. at night or whatever it may be. Yeah. 2 a.m. at night. It's, it's, and, but it was located in an apartment house Dominion originally. I get here on a Thursday morning, a day before school is over. 6 o'clock in the morning. I don't see anybody. I don't see any shul. I don't, the stores are closed. I can't even ask. I'm going back and forth. Then I say, you know what? 
I'm, I'm, I'm going, I'm going, uh, I'm going to go back to school. Then I see a man walking with a few his children, he's carrying a towels bag. So I go over to him, I says, look, I'm trying to come to a mit- Oh, he says it's at 108th Street, you know, the new building, you know, Beit Cabrillo. That was Amna Yusupov and his parents and wow. brothers and, and his parents. Then I say to them, you know, by the way, where do your children go to school? I go to public school. Why don't you send them to yeshiva? I don't have the money. And, and public school is giving a good education. Anyways, to make a long story short, I said I'd like to have, you know what, I'm going to send one of my children. I think he pointed to Abner, I wasn't sure. So I said, you know what, I'll, I'll do, I'll do it. If you pay one of your children, here's what it cost. I said, look, uh, I could tell you what the, the official price is, but let me tell you, give me all your children and you're going to pay a lot less. And they paid, they paid. The rest is history. Abner went there, his brother went there, whatever it may be. Amazing. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Wonderful. One one situation and how much Baruch Hashem is involved with Baruch Hashem Chazay Hashem, and every single person can be involved. That's the message. Every single one of us has family, friends, neighbors, an hour co-workers. of your of your time. If you just sit down with Machshaba, give us the information. It doesn't have to be. It could be any contact Chazak, contact us, contact whatever whoever you want to contact. And they, they will try to do the rest. 100% definitely. And this is the season right now. This is right now the summer. Many people go away. Vacation, quote unquote. And people remind themselves at the end of uh, August. <laughs> no, this is not vacation season for us. Baruch Hashem, we're working full force, 24-7, 365, 9 to 5, 5 to 9, uh, to get kids in the September school year into yeshivas. Baruch Hashem, uh, Baruch Hashem over 1,500 kids. Baruch Hashem, more or less, already been changed from public school to issues last few years alone. And uh, it's a tremendous atzlacha. And uh, everybody, again, family, friend, neighbor, co-worker that has a kid in public school, public school is not a place for Jewish kids. We need to transfer them into yeshiva. Reach out to Rabbi Doichi, to Rabbi Avner Yusupov, to Yeshiva Primary Yeshiva Institute used to be. To reach out to Chazak, reach out to Yerav, reach out to everyone and anyone. Let's visit Hashem, save them, let's get them involved. Want to thank Rabbi Deutscher for this opportunity. Thank you very much for joining us on Torah Talks. Thank you very much to all of our podcast, uh, you know, holders, uh, platforms. A shout out to Torani Time, which we mentioned, went to the yeshiva as well. Daily giving a dollar a day goes a far way. The entire Chazak staff will be here. Robbie, Mary, Natan, uh, Natan, uh, Izzy, um, the whole team. Robert Rubin. Robert Rubin of Upstate Yeshiva Placement Division. Unbelievable work that they do, like was mentioned before. Busy, busy season right now. It's the time to get kids to Yeshiva. Please send them our way. And uh, for whatever reason, kids can make it to Yeshiva. There is after school programs in Bidiyevet. Sunday school programs, teen vision programs, and once again, Rabbi Deutscher, Yag Thank you very okay, much. I'd like to leave you with, with a certain message. Can I ask you a question? Sure. What percentage of the Nobel prizes that that were that were uh, um, from 1900 until about 2010? What percentage were Jewish? I, I I don't know the exact number, but I know it's a nice amount. Thirty-five <laughs> percent. Wow. 35% of the Nobel laureates were Jewish. And many of them came through a yeshiva system. Wow. Unbelievable. Now, how many Jews are in the world? Not even a percentage. Not even a percentage. <laughs> it's, 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 it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And yeshiva really has a very, very, very amazing education. And people, everybody has to get involved with it. And this is the time. And the Rabbi Deutscher lives and breathes this. Baruch Hashem Chazak. We're living and breathing this. 
and it's very important for everyone to get involved. Thank you very much for watching. Thank you very much for joining us. Tuesday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, because I've talked to a special guest. Join us every week. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. Thank you.